Good morning. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. When I first arrived, and I was here quite early, I met Gemma and the family as they were arriving. And Gemma said, uh, I had a dream about you last night. And I thought, oh, I hope it was a good dream. And she said, I dreamt that you didn't turn up. And I thought, oh, I hope I don't have that sort of reputation. If I get that forgetful, I'm sure my wife will have words with me and say, shouldn't you be somewhere today? But I'm so glad to be with you, and I hope that the Lord will bless our time as we spend it together. Um, If you have your Bibles, and I'm not sure the words will come up, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 11 from verses 19 to the end of the chapter today. And uh, these are really exciting verses, and I hope you'll, you'll learn You'll, you'll glean, you'll, you'll get something um, out of these. So, Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, And began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad, and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and, through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And I'm sure the Lord is going to bless his words to our hearts as we look at these verses together this morning. Just by way of introduction, um, I'm not sure how much interest you show in the church worldwide, but in particular, I've been watching the church and its growth in Cuba, of all places, fascinating country this is a communist state and yet the church is growing like wildfire like nothing we have ever seen nothing that we are witnessing in our own country you will if you go to cuba not see elaborate buildings you will not see advertised church events you will not see exciting and amazing church programs emblazoned amongst the communities there. Christians in Cuba have learned to exist and grow below the radar of communism. Communism has set a ceiling. 
So they operate below that ceiling quite sensibly. One house church will grow to a point where the house cannot contain them. And so they spread out and they will establish another 10 house churches. It's almost like cell division. One pastor from one of these house churches was arrested and he was put before a communist court and he took into court with him a rock. And the court asked him the question, why the rock? And his reply was, because if you shut me up, this rock will cry out for God. In other words, you will never stop the spread of God's good news in our world. I love the next part of the story. They thought he was crazy, and so they released him, and he just carried on the work. I think that's wonderful. God is so good. Then that pastor, in an interview, a quiet interview, was asked how they could plant so many churches, and he replied, well, that's the easy part. We make, we teach, we train disciples, and they just carry on the work. That is precisely what is going on in the church of Antioch that we've read about in these verses this morning. And that is why the Bible scholars down through the years have called the church of Antioch the blueprint for the Christian church today. It's vibrant and it's growing. And as you're looking behind me at the screen... That is the sum total of my PowerPoint presentation for you here this morning. So when I get dull and you start to switch off, just look at the picture and let that inspire you. I was quite impressed that I found that for you this morning. I was quite pleased with that. But I hope it helps just to set the scene. If I can just give you just a little bit of background, I know this is a little bit that you've covered already in the book of Acts. But Acts, as a complete book, gives us the first 30 years of the early church. And if you remember, back in chapter 1 and verse 8, it gives us the outline for the whole book. And the words were these, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the whole of the book, the whole of the book of Acts, actually carries out that plan and that commission. In chapters 1 to 7, Jerusalem. In chapters 8 to 12, Judea and Samaria. In chapters 13 through to 28, the world. Isn't that fantastic? That's why the book of Acts is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's alive. There's so much going on. And as you have seen already, two men predominantly stand out from the crowd. There is Peter, who primarily went out to the Jews. And then we have Paul, who was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the Greek nations, the non-Jewish parts of the world. What I find really interesting is that the key to this great commission in chapter 1 and verse 8 isn't based in Jerusalem, but actually... It's the city of Antioch. From here, this colossal city, it's claimed to be some 300 to 600,000 occupants. The third largest city in the Roman Empire. This is the city, the place, the church where the mission to the world begins. 
And part of being a blueprint for the church in that day and in our churches today is that they became, and so we become, sending churches. And you will see that as you follow through in your studies in Acts, that Acts will become this amazing sending church. Now, from our verses, we need to ask a couple of questions. Firstly, how did the message spread? Secondly, what did Barnabas and Saul do at Antioch for a whole year that we read about? And thirdly, what are some of the truths concerning biblical giving? We have given today. We've taken a collection for a fantastic work in the country, and we see something of biblical giving even in these verses. And if time doesn't escape me, we will get to that, I pray. So what, as another question for you this morning, what would you answer? What is the mission of the church here today? What is our purpose? Quite rightly, your minds would jump to the word evangelism, and that's absolutely correct. Evangelism is reaching out with this message of good news to a desperately needy world. Absolutely. But it is so much more than that. Here comes what I believe is a very simple strategy, which I hope fits, and I believe fits, most of our churches today. Three words for you. I probably should have done another PowerPoint at this stage, but I didn't. So listen well, take notes, and hopefully you can learn from this. What is our purpose? We're called to make disciples. What is our plan? To equip believers to do ministry for the building up of our body of Christ, our local body of Christ, our churches here in this place. And thirdly, what is our process? We gather to worship, as we have done this morning, and we gather for teaching, which is what we're doing just now, and then we scatter for evangelism and to serve. Do you get that? We gather first, and then we scatter And that is something we can all become a part of as we have met together to worship, as we come together to train and to teach and to learn. Then we want, as an outward expression, to scatter ourselves in whatever way that's going to be to help to share this wonderful news and serve others. It's a very simple strategy, a very simple outline. Where does it come from? It comes from this church in Antioch nearly 2,000 years ago. If I can just give you a brief outline of the verses that we have read together, it may help. First of all, this ministry in Antioch is verses 19 through to 26. What did we find? Many believe. That's verses 19 to 21. Then we find Barnabas is sent to them, verse 22 to 24. And then we find that Saul joins Barnabas to help him in the work at Antioch verses 25 to 26. Then there's this other part of our verses. The other part, the last part of this chapter, this collection taken up for the struggling believers in Jerusalem and Judea. That's verses 27 through to 30. And we begin with this prophecy from a prophet called Agabus about a famine that's going to spread out over the entire known world at that time. And then 29 to 30, gifts collected and sent. That's the outline. So right back to the beginning of our verses, verse 19 that we read together, we find there 
that the believers in Jerusalem, they came under immense, really heavy persecution, which began with the martyrdom of Stephen. It provoked this huge persecution. And so the believers in the church of Jerusalem, they spread out. And we read together that they went to Phoenicia. They also went to Cyrene in North Africa. They went to Cyprus. They went out into Samaria and over Judea, and they came to Antioch. That's how severe this persecution was. It's a vast area that they spread out to because they were being persecuted. But what I want you to notice from these verses is that when they scattered, when they spread out, where did they go? What did they do? They went to the Jews first. And of course, you remember, it took a vision from God to Peter and a visit to Cornelius to convince Peter that this wonderful message of salvation wasn't just for the Jews. It would be for the Gentiles, it would be for the Greek nations as well. But there were Jewish Christians who refuted that fact. They didn't like it. They weren't used to it. They considered the Gentiles and an inferior race. Why should they come under the grace of God? They didn't know the full truth of this wonderful good news that God had to offer. There were others who accepted these Gentile believers when they came, but they said then that they also had to come under the law of Moses. They were confusing the issue. This problem will not go away. And that's why we read about it here in Acts chapter 11. It's back again. And it's going to rear its head again in Acts chapter 15 when you come to it. This problem will not go away. And sadly, it still exists today. There are certain Jewish Christians who still have a problem with Gentiles not coming under the law of Moses. And so there we have this scattering, this persecution, the believers going out into the world, but they just went to the Jews. That's what Luke tells us. Now let's go back to Antioch, because things had to change. Things had to be completely different to that. The city of Antioch was significant. It was important. It became the birthplace of mission. It became the headquarters of the Apostle Paul. And it also became the first place where believers were first called Christians. It was significant. It was important. And the population of Antioch was mostly Greek. So something had to shift. There were a large group of Jewish people in Antioch, but it was predominantly Greek. The people of Antioch, they worshipped in particular the god of Apollo. And they also worshipped the god of Isis. But now the message, the gospel message, was going to them. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch preaching to the Greeks about the Lord Jesus. Okay, the scattered believers, they went to the Jews, but that wasn't the sole purpose of God's plan. And so God had stirred the hearts of believers from an island in the middle of the Mediterranean and from a place in North Africa to go and preach this wonderful good news to Greeks and Gentiles also. What does that tell us? It tells us this. God will always have his way. If we say no to God, sorry, Lord, not me. 
he will still have his way and he will choose someone else or he will work in your heart until you get to the point of saying, yes, Lord. What do we sing? Here am I. Send me. God will always have his way. It would do us good just to stop for a moment and ask ourselves the question, what is this gospel? What is this good news? Do you know, I'm so thrilled to say that it hasn't changed. This wonderful message is Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross as payment for our sins, that he wonderfully rose from the, the dead on that third day, conquering death, destroying the one who had the power of death, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Maybe that's something that someone here today needs to listen to. You need to hear a message of hope. You need to know that when life is coming to its end, what will happen next? Where are you going? There's wonderful news in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this wonderful good news went to the Greeks. And we read in verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number believed and turned to the Lord. Isn't that fantastic? When we think of large numbers, I wonder through our small, infinite our finite minds, what do we think about? We're talking here of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Greeks trusting the Lord because they heard the message. Isn't that fantastic? Should you be uh, glad about that? Should you rejoice as Barnabas would? Yes. Because as a result of this, this wonderful good news, it spread from Antioch and it came across into Europe and it would eventually come across to our island. And then centuries later, we found Christ because the faithfulness of this message being preached at Antioch. It's exciting. It's something amazing. Now, this was staggering because the Greeks worshipped in total thousands of different gods and in Athens they even had a shrine to the unknown god just in case they forgot one they were that superstitious and now they had received the truth that there was only one true god and his name is Jesus almost seems to me as if they were waiting for this message they were like a field ripe and ready for harvesting they were ready to receive it and then we read that this wonderful work that was going on in Antioch it produced these ripple effects all the way back to the church in Jerusalem they had to do something they had to act and their action was to send a man called Barnabas he was the obvious choice because of his character and because of his servant heart. But also it was strategic because Barnabas actually came from the island of Cyprus himself. He, he wasn't an outsider. He was local to the situation. Now watch. Verse 23. When he got there, he witnessed the grace of God and he rejoiced. He was so glad because of seeing these Greeks hearing the message and receiving Christ as their saviour, he was full of joy and he encouraged them. He told them to remain true to the Lord. Greeks were believing. They were trusting in God as his grace fell upon them. 
And here is Barnabas, right in the middle of the situation. This was God's man. You know, we call him Barnabas, but his name was Joseph. But he was given the name Barnabas because the name Barnabas means son of consolation or the encouraging one. And can't you just hear his words to these Greeks? You've got to keep going. You've now got to grow. You've got to get involved. You've got to remain true to the Lord. This is the teaching training point we were talking about in that three points. This is the plan. This is the, the, the plan. Luke describes Barnabas for us, doesn't he? He tells us that he was a good man. It means he was honourable. It tells us also that he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Two thoughts. He was filled with the Spirit, so everything he did was Spirit-controlled. And he was also led by the Spirit, because we come to that point where he needed help. And he was led by the Spirit to look for Saul to come and help him with this work. He was also a man of faithfulness. He had a great faith towards God, but he was also faithful in his work amongst the people in Antioch. He was a great man of God. So the plan was in place. He went up, he encouraged, he taught, and he trained. And then verse 24, there were these large numbers. What a wonderful problem. He came to this problem, and it really was for him. He was not able to handle all of the work, all of the teaching, all of the training, all of the encouraging. He couldn't do it on his own. There were too many people. He needed help. And where was he going to get this help? Through the Holy Spirit. He was led to Tarsus, which was north of Antioch and just around the coast. And there he would find Saul, whose name would later become Paul, of course. And he brought him back to Antioch to help him with this incredible work. So back to the blueprint. They led people to Christ and then they equipped the disciples there. Fantastic. Was this a new idea? Was this just another church program? Not at all. If you remember some of the last words that Jesus said before he ascended back to his father's presence, he said this to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. They were just carrying on that great work that they'd been called to do. And what is a disciple? Well, it's a little cliche for you. A disciple is someone who learns to follow and follows to learn. And this is the work that Barnabas was going to do in the lives of these young believers. So back to Antioch, we then find out this. This was the first place where believers were called Christians. You know, uh, one of my favorite uh, Bible teachers is uh, a guy called J. John. Now, he's he's from Cyprus, and he's a great pastor in his own right. And he said this, and I love this. If you take Christ out of Christian, you're left with Ian. And Ian can't help you. I love that. I always think about that when I see the word Christian. It wasn't a name they gave themselves. The name came from other people. Others around them recognized them and said, you are of Christ. You belong to Christ. You follow Christ. You are people of the way. And it's almost like a nickname. But what it did was it gave these young believers in this growing, vibrant church identity. It gave them recognition. And the name stuck. And I'm proud, and I hope that you're proud, 
if you are, of course, to call yourselves Christians this morning, people who belong to Christ. What it tells us as well is this. Others are watching. Others are taking note. I wonder what they see when they look at us. Because it comes with a responsibility that we live up to the family name. As we come to the last little bit of these verses, remember the ripple effects that got back to the church in Jerusalem? Well, we see a little bit more of that. They sent Barnabas, who worked with Saul in the church for a whole year, but now we find in verse 27, they also sent some prophets to help with the work and the ministry. Who were these men? Well, there is a link here to Paul's letter to the Ephesians and chapter 4, where Paul lists some of the gifts given to those with responsibility in the church. And he mentions there are some prophets, there are some teachers, there are some evangelists, there are some pastors. A prophet wasn't just a person who stood up and spoke out loud. They got direct revelation from God himself. God spoke to them directly and they revealed God's word to the people. And until we received the complete revelation of God's word, which is this, the Bible, until we received that, God used these people to reveal himself to and through when he needs to tell his people something. God used them to give his message. And we see this all the way through the Old Testament with the work of the prophets and right into the days of the early church age. According to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church. Why don't we have prophets here today? Because we have the complete word of God. It is complete in itself. There will not be any new revelation. God will reveal himself to us. God will speak to us. God through his spirit will tell us the way forward and the way to go. He will speak on a very individual basis, but when it comes to new revelations that the church needs to hear, we now have the complete word of God. Back to the script. There were these prophets, and one of them was called Agabus. God had revealed to Agabus that there was going to be a famine over the entire world. And Luke tells us that this actually happened during the reign of Claudius. It was severe. It's not only mentioned here in the Bible, but you will find mention of this famine in church history. You will also find it mentioned in world history, if that sort of thing interests you. It was real. It was relevant. It was a very, very big event. And it was taken seriously. But the important thing to notice is this. What was the response from these new believers in the city of Antioch? Well, they decided to take up a collection for the struggling believers in Jerusalem and Judea to help them through this time of famine. So they received this word through the prophet Agabus. They didn't ignore it. They did something about it. They did what they could. Biblical truths about biblical giving. My time is so, so close to going. I've just got three very, very quick points. Their giving was an act of love. They gave because they saw a need. And that's what giving is all about. 
Then secondly, their giving was an act of worship. They gave from what God had already given to them, and they gave it back to God as an offering. It was an act of worship. But also their giving was an act of trust. When it was taken and collected up, it was then passed to Barnabas and Saul to be taken back to the elders in the church in Jerusalem. It was an act of trust. These three biblical principles about giving still apply to how we should give today. And what was really lovely, there was a little point in those verses which said to us, they gave as they were able. And I think that's lovely. God knows what we can do, but he also knows what we can't do. He is a great God. So this morning, we can learn that Antioch was a church where Christ was preached. It was a church where believers were trained and taught and equipped and nurtured and discipled. It was also a sending church. It was also a church where individual gifts were recognised and respected and used for the blessing of that local body of Christ. It was also a giving church. And what do we say to all of that? Wow. That's the sort of church I want to belong to. We don't always get it right. We are human. We do make a mess of it at times. We do fail. We let each other down. We don't always serve each other as we should. We don't always evangelize as we should. And maybe we don't teach and train each other as we should for the work ahead. God forgive us. But he's a gracious God and he always will. But if we can use this, this blueprint for a growing and vibrant church, if that's what we want to be, then God will bless us as we step out in faith and do this. And I was just thinking to myself, of those two pastors that Desmond shared news about. And I'm in the middle of reading a book called I Am N. And it goes back to believers who are becoming martyrs through the sad and atrocious work of ISIS. And they are losing their lives because they are putting their lives on the altar for God. They will not shut up about him in a Muslim culture. And people are dying in those countries for the sake of Christ, and yet their churches are growing. People are finding Christ. People are trusting Christ. Those two pastors are with their Heavenly Father. We pray for their families. I've got one final question. How do we know that they got it right in Antioch? Because when Barnabas arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God. God was at work amongst his people. May God bless you. We've got a final song that we're going to sing together as we close our service.